Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. Um, I'm going to have uh, Tim come up to lead us in reading scriptures. So if you'd stay standing on front of your bulletins. Uh, we as Loon Mountain Ministry are connected to a larger organization called Snowboard Excuse for Christ. And we, what we love about Snowboard Skiers for Christ is it connects us to other ski resort ministries all over the globe. And uh, Tim heard about Loon Mountain Ministry through Snowboard Skiers for Christ. And uh, Tim and his family are up here visiting. And uh, they're feeling God might be calling them into ski resort ministry. So you get a chance to meet Tim and say hello to them. That'd be great. His wife, Kara, over there and their three kiddos. So, Tim, lead us in the reading of Scripture. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll just read without the mic. Uh, we're reading Job 8. 1 through 10 in the New Living Translation in the Bolton. So I'll start in verse 1 together with everyone. Uh, then Bildad, the Shuhite, replied to Job, How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him, because their punishment was well deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. And though you started with little, you will end up with much. Just ask the previous generation, pay attention to these things of our ancestors, for we were born but yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are as fleeting as a shadow, but those who came before us will teach you. They will teach you the wisdom of old. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. You're welcome. Thanks, Dan. You guys may be seated. I love being connected to Snowboard Skiers for Christ. Uh, Tin and his family uh, have gotten into skiing over the past couple of years and uh, kind of felt like, man, on the weekends when we leave our community and go skiing somewhere, kind of feel like we miss our church community, we miss serving in it, miss hanging out in it. And he was kind of like, ah, I'm feeling like I got to choose between church and skiing. And overheard someone talking about Snowboard Skiers for Christ. And he's like, wow, what's that? He went home and Googled it. And then uh, came across Loon Mountain Ministry. And that's one thing that absolutely I love uh, being a part of. And, uh, you know, one thing that, you know, we'll say while being here online and you guys is, you know, we're praying for uh, an intern or, or multiple interns this winter. Uh, so if you know uh, anyone uh, older than the age of like 20, 21 or so that would be interested in serving at a ski resort ministry, uh, we have opportunity to do that and would love for them uh, to come be a part of that. So anyway, uh, that's a little plug for our, our internship program. Um, before I get going on our sermon, I just kind of want to uh, remember a couple things. Uh, one, in our service in here, uh, masks are recommended when you cannot maintain social distancing. Uh, uh, but that is on you, and you figure that out. Um, also, uh, we are limited to a number of 40. So we're like right almost there. It's our first time we've been over, I think like 30, maybe four or five is our most. I think we're right at about 40 right now. Uh, we're going to be praying about what that looks like if, if we hit 40 consistently and go over. We're going to be praying about maybe an additional service. Uh, we're at the mountain until Columbus Day weekend. Um, and so tomorrow morning we'll be at the, the service there. We're limited to 60 there. And so uh, 40 is the CDC recommendation for this space. 
And then when we come back in after Columbus Day weekend, if this, I have a feeling this service is probably going to be too big. We might end up going to two services, one on Saturday night, like the one you're in right now, and then another one on Sunday morning in here as well to try to help spread out the numbers. I would say to that, if you're an individual that Saturday night's working for you, I would uh, kind of assess the situation in October when we go there and uh, maybe say, hey, I'll keep going to Saturday night to leave a space open on Sunday morning or vice versa. I have a feeling that probably Saturday night's going to be our, our slower service once Sunday hits. That's just kind of how it normally goes. Uh, so that's just kind of some house things. So remember, in the coffee shop service, mask is recommended uh, when you can't maintain social distancing. Once you, it's like a restaurant. Like once you've made it to your space and you're not going to be moving around, uh, that's all right. Well, we recommend it as you're in transit. All right, that's the mask coverage. Um, we're in the book of Job. Uh, we've been in the book of Job uh, because we need wisdom. Man, and if there ever was a time we needed wisdom, it's now. You know, I, 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 as I think about teachers going back to school, I'm like, wow. And I think, man, this must be so hard to be a leader during this time. <laughs> and then we sit in a staff meeting. I'm like, oh, we're leaders during this time. And so we're like, Lord, give us wisdom. There's just so much, you know, because right now it's hard. You know, not only do we want to make sure that we're, you know, that we're doing this correctly and safely, but we also want to, you know, follow guidelines and, and, and you know, the Bible says to, uh, to respect authority given you here in New Hampshire. We don't have a mask mandate, you know, um, it's recommended. And so that's what we do here. We're following that. Um, and, uh, and so we're leaders and we need wisdom. And so the book of Job is one of three books in the Bible that are wisdom books. There's Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, the book of Job, why we started with Job, and we actually started with Job before uh, Corona hit. Um, we started with the book of Job because it was the oldest, and we thought, well, let's start with the oldest. I, I'll tell you, I really didn't want to start with the book of Job. The book of Job is kind of a downer. It's like difficult, but we're learning some really, really good things in the book of Job, and things that I think are very applicable to today uh, and what we face uh, with Corona. Do you need me to use this so, for online? Or does it matter? You can, I, we're good. We're good? I can hear you. Okay, can you hear me online? Give me a thumbs up. Plenty loud. Plenty loud? Okay. I, I, I already, I'm holding my notes in my phone. I, I can't do two things at once. I can't hold two microphones. Um, so, the first thing that we, that we realize in the book of Job is that God is the author of life and we are not. And we are not supposed to reach up and try to grab the pen and take over. God is in control. And no matter how chaotic our situation seems like, God is still the author of life. Job had a very chaotic situation, right? Job had his, his, his house was taken away, his, his work and, and, his, and his career was taken away. Uh, but also what was really even more hurtful was that his children were taken away. That is really, really difficult. And you see in the book of Job that God, the entire time, is still in control. He's still the author of life. And that's one of the first things that we see in the book of Job. Is there evil in the world? According to the book of Job, yes. However, the evil cannot do anything without the permission and the authority granted by God. Let me say that again. Evil 
is prevalent on the earth. It is here. It says it right in the book of Job. But in the book of Job, evil cannot do anything. What we learned about evil, evil is not allowed to do anything without the permission of the Almighty. And that is really, really difficult. Because that means that God is aware of the evil that is happening on earth. And in some bizarre way, now this is way above my pay grade, but in some bizarre way, it comes across his desk and gets his approval. It's bizarre. Now, in, you see here in Job, the accuser, Satan, comes and God says, you're allowed to do this. You're only allowed to go so far. So in the first round of, 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 of Job's persecution, his of trials, his tribulations, the first round of it, Job, Satan is only allowed to, to touch things around him, right? God says, you can, you, can, you, can, you can really make his life miserable, but you cannot touch him physically. So Satan goes away and takes his home and takes his, his sheep and his livelihood and takes his children. Satan comes back again, did not get what he wanted, and that was for Job to curse God. Satan came up with an excuse and says, well, you didn't let me touch his life. If you let me actually influence his health, then he'll curse you. God then grants permission for him to touch his health. He said, you can't kill him. Remember? Gave that. Can't, can't kill him. Um, and Job also doesn't curse God. He, 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 he complains. He, he, he laments. He gets really, really, God, why? You know, but he never curses God. And so you see after chapter 3, we move into a back-and-forth kind of long ping-pong match between Job and his three friends. Job laments, or he, 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 he cries out in anger and pain and frustration, and then his friends serve it back at him for two chapters. And it goes back and forth two chapters at a time for about 30 chapters. Now, I'm not going to go chapter by chapter by chapter with each friend and Job, because reality of it is if you read the whole thing you'll see that job's friends pretty much kind of say all the same thing and job when he's in his like frustrating hurting crying out stage kind of says the same thing over and over again there as well so this is kind of like one of the last that we're going to cover of job's friends we might cover the fourth one that comes in because he's a little bit different and then when job's friends are all done talking and uh and job's done talking uh God's going to step in. And I don't know if you've ever had that situation where maybe you're in an argument or a disagreement with a friend, and you finally get to some place in the conversation where it goes quiet, and you're like, all right, I'm not going to convince you to think the way I am, and you're not going to convince me to think the way you are, so I guess we just sit here. And that's kind of at the end of Job going back and forth with his friends where we find God, end of the picture. But um, I, does anyone have an extra bulletin that I can share? Yes. Thanks, Dave. All right, so what we read today, at the end of this, you should have said, ouch, ouch, like this, like, you know. And so Job is getting some criticism right here. And today's sermon is what to do when you're criticized. What, does, what is a biblical response to criticism, All right? Criticism is like taxes. We're all going to get them. Right? You cannot get rid of taxes, right? The things that are sure of death and taxes. Right? And criticism 
unless you go and isolate yourself and don't see any other human, you're going to get criticism. You're going to get criticized, right? So how do we as Christians respond to criticism? Now, one of the things we have to remember as Christians, we shouldn't go by our gut, right? Now, the gut is one thing that God did give us, but it isn't the only thing. God has given us his word. And then when we confess our mouth, that, you know, that Jesus is Lord, and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. So we also have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So we have the word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit for those that have put their faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ. So that's how we begin, the basis that we begin in response towards criticism. So you need to look at God's word. Now, you all just get to sit in online. You just get to, you know, log in, I guess, of a sermon that's directed specifically at me. I don't know if you've ever heard of the five love, love language, but it was a book written back like in the late 80s, early, early 90s. It's a great book. It's called The Five Love Languages. It's a great read for a parent. It's a great read for a spouse. It's a great read really for anyone to try to help understand what makes your spouse or what makes your kids or what makes your friends tick. How, how does that work? And the five love languages are um, quality time, acts of service, uh, uh, gifts, uh, physical touch, and words of affirmation. Okay? My top two are words of affirmation and physical touch. That, those are like what make me tick. So because I'm a words of affirmation guy, when I get criticism, it's hard for me. Right? That criticism is really hard for me. A couple different reasons. One, because words of affirmation mean a lot to me. And two, I, I tend to have insecurities. I, I'm insecure. And so a critici criticism can really, really affect me. I tend to look for my um, worth, my identity, and what people think about me. Whether it be my sermons or my job, whether it be uh, the way that I cook and deliver meals or host, the way that I you know, do business or have something. I have to be really careful. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. Now... What I meant by having God's Word and the Holy Spirit, and I want you guys to understand this, because this is something that I think God's really working in my life, that I think is going to be hopefully something that you can hear and see in your life. And, and, and it's this. We sometimes as Christians do this thing where we respond to a situation, right? Whether it's criticism, or it's you know somebody offending us, or somebody wronging us, or something happening, we, 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 we react in a certain way, and it's, we, we react in a way that's really just kind of like us, like, ah! And then we pause, we go, oh, that wasn't so great. And we go back to God's Word, and we go into prayer, and we're convicted in it, and we go, whew, that wasn't the greatest thing. I need to probably go apologize. That's a great scenario. However, it should not stay there. I'm tempted to just let it stay there, right? Where, where I have a situation where I react as Marcus, but then I go back to be with my relationship with God, and he convicts me of how I reacted in that situation, and I go back and apologize. Those are good, but it should not stay that way. 
And here's why. If we only had the Bible, it would stay that way forever. The Bible is not relational. The Holy Spirit is. And when we as Christians surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters us. And when the Holy Spirit enters us, we then will interpret things, situations, things said to us, criticism, harmful things, hurtful things. We'll interpret that through the Spirit. So that ultimately a mature believer, a mature Christian, is able to respond in the Spirit in the now. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Another way that we're able to respond in the Spirit in the now is through Scripture memorization. Scripture memorization is an incredible tool to help us live in the now biblically. So I'm going to go over some Scripture right now that would be really wise if you have a hard time with criticism like Marcus it would be really good for you to memorize these verses. And we're going to start in James chapter 1, verse 19. And it says, Brothers and sisters, some translations say, Everyone, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Yeah, because, and she's going on the next verse, anger, you know, is a human emotion and doesn't result sometimes in very good... It doesn't, it doesn't go so well, is essentially what it says. And so, James chapter 1, when memorized, and when the Holy Spirit dwells with inside of us, should help us deal with criticism in the now. Because criticism is in the now. It's now. They, they gave me a zinger, right? They gave me a zinger. And so, quick to listen. I think sometimes in my immature faith, I said, oh, I won't become angry. But really what I was doing is just shutting everybody out. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says quick to listen. We're ought to just take criticism and turn it off. Proverbs has a lot to say against people who turn off the volume to criticism, or tune out criticism. The book of Proverbs calls us that do that fools. It is foolish to not listen to criticism. And so when we're quick to listen, we must actually admit, we must admit, to quick to listen must admit that we have something to learn, even from the worst of critics. Even from the worst of critics. There is always a grain of truth. This one hurt. If I was in Job's situation right here, I would have been livid. You can say that maybe this is my fault because I did something wrong, which is what his first friend said. And you could say that because I lost my job, I lost my, my income, I lost my 401k. You could possibly say, well, you didn't make great decisions. But when I lose a child... And now you tell me it's my child's fault that they are gone? Ouch. Like, I, I hope you get the severity of this. This is a zinger. Did you read this? Your children, in verse 4, his friend, Bill Dad, the shortest guy in the Bible, shoe height, replied to Job 
and verse 4, he said, Your children must have sinned against God, so their punishment was well deserved. That is a terrible comment. And what essentially Bildad the Shuhite, he must have had a short man problem. He must have had, <laughs> you know, a you know, short man syndrome. He was elevating himself to God. Who can determine that? That someone's worthy of their punishment. God is the only one that has that ability in Scripture. So right away, Bildad the Shuhite has bad theology. His other buddy had bad theologies. Because remember, he said, you're getting punished for what you did. But in chapter 1, we realized that God said that Job was blameless and righteous. <laughs> so both these guys had bad theology. But even though they got bad theology, this dude comes around with some good stuff. Listen to this, he goes. He goes like this. Just ask the previous generation. Pay attention to the experts of our ancestors. For we were born but yesterday and know nothing. Our days on earth are fleeting and as shadows. But those who came before us will teach us. They will teach us the wisdom of old. That is good advice. And if Job is quick to listen, and he is slow to speak, and he is slow to become angry, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Job can forgive his friend for saying such a mindless, graceless, mean comment about losing your children. And Job still gets the nugget of what was being said. The good part, the salt of what was being said. Because looking to yesterday's generation, looking to our grandparents, looking to our parents, looking to people of old for wisdom is really wise. And we as the younger generation really have to hear that and think that through. And ask for mentorship. And ask for accountability for those that are ahead of us or before us. So do you see how James chapter 1 verse 19, now Job didn't have that. The book of Job, historians say, is the oldest book in the Bible. The book of James is not. The book of James is actually one of the youngest books in the Bible. James was Jesus' brother. And what I think is incredible about James' humility, James was not a fan of his brother growing up. Maybe you weren't either. Sounds like civilly rivalry, right? But when James saw who Jesus was by his death, burial, and resurrection, James was so moved... And so humbled that he starts out the book of James not even using Jesus as a popularity contest. Or using Jesus as like a one-up. He could have. He could have said, this is James, the brother of John. I mean, the brother of Jesus. So you should listen up. Right? I might have been tempted to say that. If I was the, the earthly brother of Jesus, like, yo, Jesus was my brother, man. We shared a room. You know, I know some stuff. He doesn't. He starts out and says, James, a servant. James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. A servant. A servant. That's humble. 
I don't know many siblings that will say, I'm a servant of my sibling. I'm here to serve you, sibling. <laughs> I never said that. I haven't really heard that in my household. I don't think I hear that in many households. James was humble. Why? Because James knew the truth. He observed the truth with his own eyes. And that's what it does. And scripture memory helps us. And the truth is this, that Jesus, James's brother, Jesus is the greatest model. Jesus is the greatest example of how to deal with criticism. See, the gospel is that Jesus is the model. And the gospel is when we look at Jesus as the model and go, whoa, I can't measure up to that. That's Jesus. And then the gospel is Jesus saying, that's okay, bro. I got you covered. Put your faith in me. That's the gospel. Jesus' response to criticism was supernatural. All right? Because when I'm criticized, even though I don't like it, there's always a sliver of truth in the criticism. Right? Marcus, you talk too much. Marcus, you talk too long. Marcus, you like to hear your own voice. You know, Marcus, you're, you know, you're a celebrity personality, and you like it when people gather around you. You know, like you're, you're prone to be weak in these areas. You know? We, we're, uh, Drew and I are on our ordination process, and I can't wait for this to happen to Drew, and I'm excited to talk to him, but it's in his future. I did what they call the um, psychiatric eval. It's a scary biz. You, 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 I spent probably about 40 hours answering questions about myself, my life, where I came from, like how I parent, how I was parented, you know, what church I went to, what happened to me in that church, what school I went to, what happened to me in that school, big life events that happened to me, good, bad, and different. And all of that paperwork went into a, a psychologist and a, uh, and a counselor. And they worked all through it and created this work you know, rubric for me, and, and Heidi and I went down uh, to Manchester, and we were there for two days, and in that two days, I probably spent 10 hours with a counselor, and I probably spent four hours uh, with a, a psychologist, and there was no rock left unturned in the Marcus Corey story, or in Marcus Corey's life. It's a little bit invasive, we'll say, and, you know, and what came out of the psychiatric eval was Marcus you have some glaring weaknesses. And your glaring weaknesses is that you really like affirmation for people from people. And you are insecure because of things that have happened to you. That combo creates what they call a, um, a celebrity personality or celebrity you know, ism where you know, we like to be heard. And I have to be really careful because then also we took the class together there's an ethics class that says, ethics is this. Why do I do what I do? Why am I getting up here for this sermon? Why do I counsel somebody? Why am I visiting somebody in the hospital? Am I there for them or am I there for me? Because, boy, my personality sure likes to be needed. And when somebody's in the hospital, they really need you. Right? And so I have to be really careful with that. And so this and where I see red flags is when people criticize me. And a wise individual gives permission to be criticized. And a wise individual seeks out people who are wise and people who love God and people who love, you know, love you, but who will be frank and honest and real with you. Right? 
The chairman of our board is a good friend of mine. His name is, is uh, Andre LaPlante. One of Andre's gifts and one of the relationships that we have is Andre can be very frank with me. Andre doesn't pull any punches with me and, and tells me like it is. And that's sometimes really difficult for me because I want to argue back with Andre and tell him why I did what I did or why I said what I said. But Andre's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm not here to argue with you. I've told you this. Figure it out. End of discussion. I'm like, oh, but, but I've got to... But you, wait, let me promote myself. No, I know who you are. I love you. You don't need to promote anything. I love you. Stop promoting yourself. Stop making yourself feel better about yourself. And go figure it out with the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay. You know? And, and that's what criticism is about. And we become extremely wise and intelligent and mature when we can do that. When we can receive criticism from people that don't even love us. That's when you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's when you know the Word of God is so rooted in your life that what you hear is interpreted by the Word of God and interpreted by the Holy Spirit. So, when dealing with criticism, James chapter 1, verse 19 needs to be forefront. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you interpret criticism in the now. Quick to listen to the criticism. Slow to speak back to the criticism, and slow to defend yourself with anger against the criticism. I had a situation uh, one time during my pastorate where uh, I, I was there were some folks that were upset with me, and they were upset with me about a certain situation, and it was escalating with the board of directors getting involved, and it was super scary for me because I realized, whoa, I, I could lose my job like this. You know, sometimes I tend to operate in a world where I'm like, oh yeah, I have bosses, the board of directors, and they could take my job like that from me. Oh, wow, I forgot about that. So I was feeling really vulnerable, really fragile. You know, I was feeling very vulnerable uh, and really and really fragile. And so I went to a local pastor here and I said, what do I do? You, you're, you're much older than me. You're much wiser than me. Has anyone ever uh, come after you and, and been upset with you and gone to the board of directors? And he said, oh, oh yeah. He said, you wouldn't be a pastor if people weren't doing that. If you, if you weren't co being come after once in a while, you might want to check and see if anyone's left in your congregation. Because that's just kind of what happens. Which isn't, which isn't you know, a, a ticket to sin, but it's just saying the reality of having a growing ministry and having a lot of people around, there are going to be some people that you really upset. And, and there's a lot of times where it's on you. You did something wrong. You did something wrong. And in this case... You know, I can see back my immaturity. I can see my desire to be needed. Uh, they call it heroism. My, my desire to be a hero. I just overshared. I overstepped my boundaries. And whoo, I found myself in some place I shouldn't be. And um, this pastor, local pastor, explained a couple times where he was uh, brought before the entire congregation. And the, the, the board of directors were examining him to see if his fault in this situation was enough to ask him to leave the church. That's going to be a hairy meeting. He was told by one of his mentors, do not defend yourself. At all costs, do not defend yourself. And this gentleman said, I have taken that to heart, and from here on out, I have not defended myself. And I said, man, that is going to be really difficult for me to do. But I'm going to try, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have found that it is incredible 
when you allow the, the, the when you allow God to defend you, two things happen. You're able to grow from the criticism and grow from the situation, and you're able to be protected from yourself and from the world. Because you are putting yourself in, in God's, in, in God's, like God is the ultimate judge, and I'm going I'm to rely on his protection. I'm not going to go and defend myself. I'm not going to build a case for myself. I'm not going to, and that's been really hard for me over the years, right? And sometimes the little, the, the little criticisms are harder for me, right, than the big ones. But anyway, slow to become angry means do not defend yourself. Let the Holy Spirit do that. And we'll end with Jesus' example. And what I love about this is that it isn't actually Jesus saying these things. Both times, it's Peter saying this about Jesus. The first one comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. And he's talking about Jesus now. He says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Woo! Can you have that much faith? Can you have that much trust? Marcus, can I have that much faith? Can I have that much trust? In a situation like this, where Job is being inappropriately accused, where his children who have died have been inappropriately accused, I would lose it at that. I would be like, bro, out of my house, get out of here, you're not my friend anymore. With friends like you, who needs enemies? Right? That's what I'd say. But that's a great example. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Jesus had the Jesus had full right to retaliate because he was perfect. Nor did he threaten revenge when he was suffering. He could have changed his whole circuit. I mean, he was the son of God. He was God most powerful. He didn't. He left his case in God's hands. And Jesus seemed pretty desperate on the cross. Jesus was like, God, if you can change, just do it, please. And when he was on the cross, it was really dark. Like, he literally said, where are you, Father? Where are you, God? Woo! The Son of God, who has the perfect unity with his Father, had a moment on the cross where he was like, shoot, was this really the plan? Where did you go? I am immersed in the world's sin, and I am going to darkness. I, of the Son of God, have not experienced darkness. Woo. Gone. He had all right to retaliate to suffering. Because it was all unjustly. For he was paying for yours and mine and all the sins of the world. He did not retaliate. He did not fight back. Isaiah says, way before Jesus even came... In chapter 53, that he was led to the slaughter like a lamb. 1 Peter 3, 9, and I'll end with this one. This is a command to us. Do not repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insult when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessings. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. I am really good at playing insult ping pong. Phenomenal. I'll go back and forth with you. And I'll call you out on things. And that's not cool. I need to put the ping pong paddle down. 
and let the Lord take over. And boy, is it really tempting to pick it up. Because I'm good at sending it back at you. God did not give me a gift of observation and the gift of communication through observation to insult you back or to insult others. And when I do that, I'm inappropriately using my gift. And therefore, I'm sinning. When criticized, memorize James chapter 1, verse 19. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. And quick to listen. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is that it is powerful and that it is true and that by the Holy Spirit it can dwell in our lives and it can change us, Lord. That's all that's redemption, that's salvation. We thank you so much for this space. We thank you so much for this town. We thank you so much for technology where people can join us online. We thank you for a musical team. We thank you for a coffee shop. You are good, God. Give us wisdom as we serve our community, as we love you, and as we enjoy your creation. So in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.